Sentire Media Hello you, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 143, Cosimus Medicis, Pater Patria, 1429 to 1464. If you happen to visit Florence, of course you have to go and see the Uffizi with its almost unparalleled artistic treasures. Then the Statue of David, Piazza della Signoria, Santa Maria Novella, Santa Maria in Fiore, Ponte Vecchio, Palazzo Pitti, and the adjoining Bobbly Gardens, or, as my friends renamed it, Bob O'Lee's Irish Gardens. Anyway, if you have ticked off all the main stops and then sat down to a giant Florentine steak, unless, of course, you are a vegetarian, then you can go for a Papa al Pomodoro, then you might want to take some time to visit the Basilica of San Lorenzo. Inside you will find, of course, various tombs of important religious figures, but also an exception. You will find the tomb of a secular person with the inscription... Cosimus Medices, ic situs est, decreto publico, pater patriae. Here lies Cosimo of the Medici, by public decree, father of the nation. So, who was this man whom the Florentines, obsessively jealous of their republican liberty, felt deserved the honour not only of being buried in the basilica, but also of being given the name father of the nation. He was the son of Giovanni di Bicci de' Medici, whom we spoke of back in episode 130, the father of the father of the nation. Giovanni retired from public life around 1420, although he lived until 1429, leaving the family business and the political influence he had acquired to his two sons, Cosimo and Lorenzo. Cosimo outlived his brother, and that seems to be both a curse and perhaps the fortune of the Medici. Cosimo outlived Lorenzo, Cosimo's son Piero outlived his brother Giovanni, and Piero's son Lorenzo outlived his brother Giuliano. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Back to Cosimo. He had married Contessa of the important Bardi banking family, which had fallen into ruin due to King Edward III of England defaulting on his debts in the previous century. And so Cosimo, with his new bride, inherited what was left, as well as the building of Palazzo Bardi. The couple had Piero in 1416 and Giovanni in 1421. Oh, while he was at it, he also had an illegitimate child with a Circassian slave, meaning that she came from the Caucasus area. Little Carlo was nonetheless welcomed into the family and grew to be an important member, and he would eventually host part of his nephew Lorenzo's lavish wedding party. But again, we digress. The Medici Bank, at the time of Cosimo's father's death, Giovanni, had grown considerably 
with 16 branches all over Europe. Now the business could not fall into better hands. Cosimo was refined, cultured and educated. He spoke Greek, Latin and Arabic, as well as many other European languages, including, of course, Italian. He was skilled, tactful, careful and generous. Despite all of his qualities, we mustn't imagine that everyone in Florence was just going to let things continue from father to son. Although we also mustn't think of an official position of rule occupied by the Medici. Indeed, as his father had done, Cosimo would not always or even often occupy elected positions himself. He would manage to influence the ruling bodies, stuffing them with men who were loyal to the Medici. This shadow form of government is sometimes referred to as a crypto-signoria. Those who were not happy were some of the other important families of Florence, such as the Strozzi, D'Auzzano and the Albizzi. It was the Albizzi in particular who had dominated Florentine politics in the late 14th and early 15th centuries who had it in for the Medici most, especially the head of the household, Rinaldo degli Albizzi, who would have liked to see Cosimo in his tomb from the very start. Another important member of the anti-Medici faction, Niccolò D'Auzzano, was a bit more moderate, and for now, Cosimo was left more or less in peace. In 1430, he started to have a new house built for the family, the building you can visit today in Via Larga, known, would you believe it, as Palazzo Medici. The house, built by the architect Michelozzo, would be home to paintings, frescoes and sculptures of incredible value, including a statue called David by a certain Donatello Santi, or just Donatello. This is not to be confused with the more famous David by Michelangelo, which resides in the Accademia Gallery. Both statues have their manly attributes waving in the wind, but Donatello's also has a fancy hat, boots and a sword, which sort of makes you wonder what the band was up to. Anyway, the house in Via Larga represents the greatest splendour of the family and we can interestingly divide up the family history into the three main houses. The house of Giovanni di Bici was that of their rise. This new one in Via Larga was the house of their golden age, and the house across the river, Palazzo Pitti, with the bobbly gardens, their decline. In 1433, the opposition to the Medici lost their more moderate member, Niccolò d'Auzzano, and there was no longer anyone to keep the Albizzi in check, and they plotted and they manoeuvred and managed to get Cosimo arrested for planning a coup against the Republican freedom of Florence. Cosimo was indeed arrested, but then the citizens rose up and so the idea of a trial in a city that was now a powder keg was out of the question. At this point, they tried to have him killed in prison, but Cosimo was refusing any food or drink. Plus, they were not able to corrupt his jailer. The gentleman in question instead did give in to Cosimo himself, who bought his way out of prison. So, Cosimo and his faction were sent into exile, some in Padova and some in Venice, where they had a branch of their bank. Then, it was just a question of waiting, 
using their connections with the papacy, France and England to consolidate their position. They needed to leave the Albizzi enough rope to hang themselves with, and that is what they did. The Florentines soon realised that the Albizzi were attempting to do the exact thing that the Medici had been exiled for. Cosimo was called back in triumph and made gonfaloniere, the highest executive office of Florence. Before he did, the Albizzi made one last attempt at taking the Signoria, the government of Florence, by force, and it was that action in particular that sealed the deal for them, and in the end, it was they who were exiled. It was 1434, Cosimo de' Medici was back in Florence, and he was 45 years old. He could now continue with his bank management, his political management, and his cultural collection, sending out agents to look for manuscripts which would one day end up in the Medici Library, the first public library in Europe. He also handed out mountains of money for the building and renovation of churches, including one in Jerusalem and, in Florence, the Church of St. Mark's, which became a sort of refuge for Cosimo in stressful times. The seat of power in Florence was officially Palazzo dei Priori. In truth, it was the Medici House. In 1435, a year after his return, Cosimo received the visit of Francesco Sforza, at the time a mercenary and still not yet Duke of Milan. A bromance struck up between the two and it would last for all of their lives. This was one of Cosimo's greatest skills, making and maintaining important friendships. 1436 was a big year architecturally when Brunelleschi finished the dome of Santa Maria in Fiore, the one that you could admire today that so characterizes the Florentine skyline. On the external front, 34-36, saw yet another war between Florence and Milan, this time initiated by the exiled Albizzi, who were once again disappointed when Florence won the Battle of Barga in 1437. Hostilities would start up again the next year without much of a result. 1338 also saw a major diplomatic win for Cosimo and Florence when he managed to convince the Pope to move the Council of Ferrara to Florence. As well as the money it brought into the city, many Westerners got their first glimpse of the exotic Byzantines as they desperately tried to keep their hold on their dwindling empire. When Constantinople finally did fall 15 years later, many of those escaping with their precious manuscripts knew now exactly where to come. Cosimo paid out of his own pocket to host the members of the council, but it was a great investment. He carried on as he had been doing, keeping out of the spotlight, controlling the electoral lists, pulling the strings. As we mentioned before, 1438 had seen the second war of Cosimo's tenure start again against Milan, and the conflict ended in 1440 with the great battle of Anghieri, in which the Milanese troops, led by the mercenary Niccolò Piccinino, were defeated by a coalition of Florence, Venice, and the Pope. 
The battle was described by Niccolò Machiavelli and was immortalized also in a mural by a certain Leonardo da Vinci. Unfortunately, this mural has been lost to us, if it was ever completed. Interestingly, Machiavelli put the death toll of the battle at one. Yes, just one, although more recent studies put the toll at around 900, so Machiavelli must not have been paying much attention. More prestige for Cosimo and more land for the Republic of Venice, who acquired the Tiberina Valley in southeast Tuscany in this conflict. We spoke before about Cosimo's love for manuscripts and his foundation of the Medici Library, the first public one, and this came around in 1444. One of the first librarians there was a certain Tommaso Parentuccelli, who, of course, became great friends with Cosimo. If you're thinking that you've heard that name before, you have, but only in passing, so don't worry. But keep it in mind now. Tommaso Parentuccelli. 1446 saw the start of another Italian war. Milan, the Pope and Naples versus Genoa, Bologna and Florence, and the traditional ally of Florence, Venice. This petered out when Cosimo managed to peel the Neapolitans off of the coalition. Speaking of Milan and Venice, 1447 was a big year. The Duke of Milan, Filippo Maria Visconti, died, allowing Cosimo to flip the traditional alliance with Venice to switch to Milan, which made more sense because Milan would always be a threat on Florence's doorstep, while Venice was far enough away, with Milan in between as a buffer, to pose less of a threat. When Cosimo's friend Francesco Sforza, with Cosimo's backing, managed to take the Duchy of Milan in 1450, the deal was sealed. Another important guy to pop his clogs in 1447 was the Pope, Eugene IV, and do you know who took his place? Well, if it wasn't Tommaso Parentuccelli, Cosimo's friend and librarian, who became Nicholas V. Cosimo now had two good buddies ruling as direct neighbours of the Republic of Florence. Success after success, Cosimo was on a roll. By 1452, all opposition in Florence melted away. The Medici were allowed to do as they pleased, as long as they didn't act like bosses too much. Just to be sure, Cosimo set up a permanent council of 100 in 1458 and, of course, made sure it was stuffed with his guys. Then again, if you decided you were going to oppose the Medici, you could be pretty sure you would eventually find yourself exiled or financially ruined, or both. The Medici knew how to play dirty as well. Their financial power could also be used on a larger scale, for example, when in 1450 war had broken out with Venice and Naples against Florence and Milan, it was enough for Cosimo to call in his credit with Venice and Naples and, hey presto, they had no more money for the war. The use of financial power went beyond the confines of Italy as well, as a certain Edward IV of England received substantial help from the Medici Bank in his little War of the Roses. It was not all roses and rainbows and unicorns for Cosimo de' Medici, however. 
He had suffered from gout all of his life, and as the 1460s came around, things got worse. Before he died, he was forced to live through the pain of seeing his heir, Giovanni, die in 1463. Despite being the younger of his two sons, his better health had put him ahead of his brother Piero. More studious and reserved, and also seriously suffering from gout. Legend would have it that Cosimo had his servants take him around the new Medici palace, occasionally muttering, Una casa si grande per una così piccola famiglia. Such a large house for such a small family. Cosimo de' Medici died in 1464. The Florentines wanted to grant him the greatest possible honours, but the family refused, although they did accept the burial in San Lorenzo. Despite having spent incredible sums of money on charity, building and renovation, and on maintaining his family and Florence's political position, Cosimo died having more than doubled the wealth left by his father. His son, Piero, was now the richest man in Europe. Piero came to be known as Piero il Guttoso, Piero of the Gout, for his terrible health. So, the Medici dynasty now hung on a very sick father with a very young son. A boy aged only 14 by the name of Lorenzo. Grazie mille. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, starting with the second part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Julia G, Justin E, Mary T H, Old John in Milwaukee, Orlando D, Kevin, Mark P, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Mella, Michus Porchus, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Philip B, Roberta D, Rod L, Rodney N, Rudy F, Scott L, Sean M, Shelby, Stephen, and Tap Dance Down Under. And of course, thanks to the tippy-top level Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Rinat, David C, Oak, J, Sen, and David A. If you would like to get in touch, please do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com and send in comments, questions, or just drop in to say hello. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, at the support page, you can become a Patreon supporter and have access to ad-free episodes and extra content. Thank you very much if you decide to do so. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? 
At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.